Welcome to the Better Clinician Podcast with myself, Ben Cormack, and also Adam Meekins. The Better Clinician Project brings you high-quality education at a ridiculously low price. This podcast will bring you topics that are relevant to modern clinical practice, all done with a bit of fun and humour. Nothing in this podcast constitutes medical advice. So, BC peers, we are back again with some of your tantalising and titillate, well, probably not titillating, but it but there was some alliteration in there, so that worked for me. Uh, questions that we uh, that we go through on our monthly basis. Um, and how are you today, Mr. Meekins? How is the world treating you? Uh, let's just say I've had better months, I think. So it's been a rather crazy few weeks, but yeah, I'm doing all right, mate. I'm holding up. You know, I'm not going to bore the BC peers with the uh, the background of what's uh, going on in my life because I'm sure that's not what they pay their subscriptions for. Maybe I should do that as a separate feature. From the BCP, maybe, maybe that will get more subscriptions. Yeah, exactly. Pay extra for a fucking. I know for people that don't have enough drama in their lives, come along to get some of Adam's drama. That feels a bit like my life, actually. But there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I'm doing all right. Thanks, thanks for asking, mate. Very considerate and caring of you. Thank I you. am actually in my own, you know, Cockney wide boy way. I am actually quite caring and considerate. But do me a favor and don't tell anyone. No. Well, I, if I'm going to say one thing on the, this whole shitty subject, I have been um, very, very humbled and flattered by the lots of people that have uh, reached out and offered, you know, support and advice and guidance and just an ear to listen to, you know, including you, mate, but say also all the other people, including a few BC peers as well. So if you are watching this and you have said uh, uh, thanks and reached out to me, then uh, again, please accept my undying gratitude and thanks for it because it has been well received thank you very much good i just want you to know with me all of your credits have now run out <laughs> <laughs> my bra- my brownie points are no longer available. oh mate they're well burnt through they are anyway right so we have um as usual some questions um from the bcp members quite a good one here from our um uh, active member uh, Andrew Kyle. Oh, where, where's Andrew? He's in 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 the US somewhere, right? He is. He's a Michigan-based way. Oh, okay, right up there in the northern. I've actually been to Michigan. You've been to Michigan as well. I have been to Michigan. Yeah, that's where I met. I've met Andrew face to face. He's a good guy. Just yeah. showing off now, aren't you? Um, right, and Andrew is asking us about our thoughts on cardio. He's saying that cardio gets criticised by a lot of health gurus. And he's given us an example of someone suggesting weightlifting seems to be the the best way to kind of, you know, burn fat and lose weight and and that type of stuff. So I know you can be a bit of an advocate of the the kind of resistance training approach. Um, Are you a cardio demonizer, Mr. Meekins? Well, yeah, I probably am in a in a sort of roundabout way. <laughs> yeah, perhaps not as uh, as strong as some of them uh, people that are out there. But no, I, I I probably align myself with some of these thoughts that Andrew is perhaps talking about. And my views on cardio is that a lot of people assume that it is the best type of exercise to do for 
historically things like you know improving your wellness your cardiovascular system your 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 ability to lose weight you know so you know the classic one is weight loss a lot of people think you have to run miles and miles and miles and miles and miles to lose weight and i think you know it's good that cardio is coming under a little bit more scrutiny to say it, it does it can help with these things but it's not the only way there are other options that are available to you now does that mean that you need to start demonizing cardio no i just think it just needs to be it needs to be put in its place a little bit i think that's a better way of to looking at it i <laughs> I think it just needs to be put down, you know, a little peg or two to say that it's not the superior way. It's not the the only way. There are other things that other types of exercises could also do that cardio exercise does as well. Yeah, I hear you. There's that old kind of, you know, 70s kind of approach, isn't there, whereby you go and, you know, if you want to burn fat, go and do your cardio. Um, you know, get into the cardio zone on the on the treadmill, that steady state kind of, you know, exercise. And that kind of gets you in that fat burning zone and all that other, you know, bollocks. And I think that comes back a lot to that. Our, sometimes our misunderstanding of metabolism. Yeah. Um, and, and I think people like Brad Schoenfeld, one of our BCP guests, has kind of, you know, t- taken a lot of those kind of 70s concepts of cardio and bodybuilding and rep ranges and all these kind of things and has blown them up a little bit. Um, and so so I think in some ways, you know, that kind of you need to do this long, steady state cardio to burn fat. I do think that that's good that we challenge that. Now, what I do think, though, is that and I and I know that you have to agree with this. Unfortunately, I've sucked you into agreeing with this. Is what are you enjoying to do at the moment? What did you go and do today for your exercise? Well, I did some weight training first, but then I went I... and I did some sparring and some boxing. <laughs> Cardio. Well, now this is where we're going to get into a little bit of a tricky <laughs> discussion because again, what what are we defining as cardio? Yeah. Because, you know, technically, anything that increases your heart rate could be classed as a cardiovascular exercise. Yeah. Which, you know, resistance-based training does as well. Yeah. And again, I I defy anybody to train with resistance exercises at sufficient intensity and not feel like it's cardio. (laughs) Not to feel like that you're out of breath and your heart's racing. What, What I'm trying to say, I think, is that I think sometimes we fit cardio into this box of this long, steady state. Type of yeah, and I, and I think that's that's one of the you know the good things that's come out of this sort of you know a little bit of a kickback against cardio is that we we automatically assume cardiovascular isn't you know working muscles and that resistance training isn't working your cardiovascular system. Yeah, hundred percent. There's a lot of crossover. There's a lot of merge and and blending of the boundaries here. And you know, there was I'm trying to think of the name of the author of a paper that I read many years ago. That actually says it's a dichotomous way to to actually describe exercise of being cardiovascular or resistant or or anaerobic and aerobic. You know, these things are very dichotomous and it's not just that simple. You know, weight training works cardiovascular fitness and cardio-based training can work muscular strength and power. Well, this is when I look at kind of these health guidelines and it tells me I've got to do this amount of resistance training and I've got to do this cardio sessions. And my weekly exercise involves, you know, I'm going boxing, I'm going tennis, I'm playing sports that require power, I'm playing sports that require aerobic, anaerobic. And I think sometimes when we look at a capacity model 
sometimes we lose a bit of the specificity we get from doing things like playing sport. You know, when I look at conditioning um, and, and, you know, and strength and strength and conditioning and, and we get this idea of we're doing this phase and we're doing a hypertrophy phase. And, and then I think, well, fuck, I go and box and I'm using a fuckload of power. I'm probably generating muscle growth. I'm probably, you know, being aerobic and anaerobic. And I sometimes think to myself, is there this false dichotomy of what we're trying to achieve? And actually just going out and playing sport is a really good way of doing all of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. But I also think there are there, there's certainly you know evidence that there's more optimal ways of doing things based on what your target is. So, yes, you can get muscle hypertrophy from running around a football pitch and playing football. But we also know that, as I say, it's probably not the most optimal way to develop muscle strength. There are there are better ways of getting muscle hypertrophy effects that will make muscles grow or have more stimulus to make them grow better than just running around a football pitch. So I think there are there are there's nuance here. You know, there there are lots of crossover. There's lots of variations. There's lots of ways to do various different things. But there are sometimes better, more efficient, more optimal ways based on what the goals and the outcomes are. Absolutely. And I think that's when we come to training is never about delineating. It's always about emphasizing, isn't it? That, you know, lots of different types of training train all of our systems, but different types of training have a stronger emphasis on one or another. So I'm going to ask you for your opinion on this. Right. So I don't do much resistance training at all. Right. In fact, I do. I would have never have guessed. Oh, fuck you. I pretty much do no resistance training, right? Based on, say, yesterday I did probably a good 10 rounds of boxing, four or five, we did some hard body sparring. Am I putting my body under enough resistance for my health by doing that, do you believe? No, absolutely. I think you are. You're maintaining your muscle mass. You're going to be, you're going to create enough stimulus in there to maintain muscle mass. You're going to prevent the age-related sarcopenic decline that we see as people get over the age of 30, 40 years of age by doing cardiovascular type exercises. We do see that having a preventative role. You're probably not going to increase muscle mass, though, by doing these type of exercises. So if your goal is to increase muscle mass, then you're going to have to provide a different stimulus, I would suggest. Okay. Unless yeah. unless you do a shitload of boxing that will probably have detrimental effects on other factors to create an increase. My, my, my brain cells. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the amount of brain damage you would probably get as well as probably, you know, other injuries as well, just because the yeah. volume that you'd have to do to get yeah. those stimuluses to get an increase in muscle mass. Yeah, because I always do wonder this, you know, because I what is the load? You know, let's say you do a few good rounds on a heavy bag. What is the stimulus to your bones and your muscles? Because you must be developing. You do. I, 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 you, you look at a professional, you don't see many professional boxers without good muscle mass. Yeah. So, you know, we know that they are, you know, stimulating their muscles sufficiently to get muscles, but they're not going to be, you know, the same type of muscle mass that you would get with a bodybuilder, that with somebody that is, or a power lifter. Yeah, you know, although that, you that's also the, have to add in the diet to that as well, don't that, you? Absolutely. So there's all these other variables yeah. and confounders around it for us to also consider. So, you know, these things, uh, again, will dictate how the body responds and adapts to the stimuluses that are applied to it. But again, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use another example that I think, you know, that often 
you know, when it comes to helping people avoid age-related decline with exercises, osteoporosis is a big one, particularly in the female population. And again, you know, we know that, you know, increasing the stimulus on the bones, on the joints is a way to prevent age-related osteopenic changes. And again, there's lots of different ways of doing this, but there are more optimal ways. So yes, you know, walking and running will apply the stimulus to the bones, but it doesn't seem to be sufficient to actually create increased bone density. So all it does is it just maintains bone density. So if you wanted to get somebody out of an osteopenic state and actually increase bone density, then you're perhaps going to have to change the stimulus. You're going to have to ask them to do heavier resistance-based exercise. So do you think advice to avoid may be different to advice to reverse? Absolutely. I think if you're looking for maintenance and prevention, you've got lots of options. Yeah. If if you're looking to do something to help reverse and change an effect that's already happened, then I think there's more efficient and better options. Yeah. And that's where you have to maybe go for options that emphasize the quality that you're that you're looking for. And I think that's actually a really good middle ground. I'm just going to finish it on this point just by saying I think the magic source of all health is actually sport. And I think there's so much in sport for social engagement, for different energy systems, for different loads to the body. Um, and I think sometimes we we miss, you know, when we when we do kind of interventions, I think we don't use enough sport-based intervention versus exercise, for example. Do you know what I mean? I'd still like to see that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there's lots of advantages of, you know, group-based activities and sports absolutely you know but there's also a time and place for you know the 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 individual challenge the sole aspect of it easiness of being able to do something without actually having to arrange (laughs) mates and all those other things and let down last minute so you know it's again i'm going to finish off by just saying i think variety is the best thing i I think that's the key yeah i totally agree i i think that that having options and variety but one of the things about becoming an adult, I think we often tend to specialise. I'm a runner. I'm this. I'm that. And I think that often closes off that you know variety that maybe maybe we see for some people. And I I think that's element of social prescribing, if you like, um, is a is, is a really important thing. You know. So so there you go. But Andrew has sparked a really good discussion. So thank you very much, Andrew. I like that. that I mean, to answer that question, I mean, that he shared an example there about the best way to lose weight. You know, weight training helps you lose weight, cardiovascular exercise. <laughs> but the main the main thing is calorie <laughs> restriction. So that guy is talking a lot of bollocks on that tweet that he uh, he shared with us. Yeah. You can't outrun a bad diet is the famous saying, isn't it? Yeah, It's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't outrun wine and beer mostly because <laughs> the stress who, of that. Who want, nobody wants to outrun no. wine and beer, Ben. <laughs> nobody wants to. No, because it has the opposite social pull, doesn't it, unfortunately? I can only tolerate my wife and my child when I've had a good drink anyway, but that's another. <laughs> that was a joke, BCPers. I don't want to get in any kind of trouble that Adam has. Anyway, so we have another one from Darren Murphy, and I don't think Darren has asked a question before, actually. No, he's, so. a, he's, a, he's not. He's a new member, I think, maybe. Oh, so that's somebody that's uh, decided to uh, yeah join and give us a... A question, which is nice. Always good to get a different opinion, a different voice. And Darren's over there in the west of Ireland in Galway. Oh, he studied there, it says here. So that's cool. We like to be very international all the way from 
not the east coast of America, is it? What it is? It's kind of the east, but not the east coast. North, it's the, it's the cent- north, cent- north central bit. Yeah, and then you know, and then all the Northeast, way to west, the west coast of Ireland, which is good. Yeah. And what has Darren said? Darren has said. I'm not sure it's been done already, but how to have that conversation with someone on how to alter their exercise until they improve and how to set return to play goals. And this is one of the biggest challenges I think we all face and comes back to that concept of uh, psychological flexibility of people who exercise. But I'm going to let you dive in there, Adam, and and start with this one. Well, I think the first place I want to start with this question is is do we actually need to change their exercise do we need to actually stop them from doing something i mean greg layman talks about this all the time particularly as he's into his running do you have to get a runner with an achilles tendon problem to stop running and do their eccentric calf protocol to get their achilles tendon problem or could you just dose their running more appropriately yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 this is the million-dollar question, isn't it? Is how much is that running influencing their symptoms? Is there a sweet spot whereby, you know, that's what you're trying to find, aren't you? It's a, it's a physical and psychological sweet spot whereby well, this person is still engaged, but at the same point, um, you know, they're not engaged so much that they're causing the same problem. Yeah, well, I think there's a time and a place for switching things up and getting people to do something different, you know, a different stimulus, a different novelness, you know, something, you know, just changing their attention and focus away from what they're doing that may be aggravating the symptoms. But I also think there's an approach that a lot of people just want to have some reassurance and guidance that it's okay to carry on doing the thing that makes their problem feel a bit sore and uncomfortable. Which is, again, as you say, it's just playing around with the dosage. It's playing around with the intensity of said exercise that normally needs to be done. So sometimes we don't have to convince somebody to do something different or to stop doing an exercise. We just need to play around with it. So Darren has given an example of a tennis player with a short, sore shoulder. And that feels... That's that's convenient. That's convenient, isn't it? I am that tennis player with a sore shoulder. There you go. He's going to share share his... uh, woes and his problems that he's been struggling with for the last six months you know that's having a negative psychological impact on his life he doesn't feel like he's the same person anymore i've lost my meaning um so i'm at a point whereby i can go and play tennis right i can go and play and in the evening it hurts a bit at night it might hurt a bit in the morning it's a bit stiff and sore I'm at a point where I probably wouldn't stop playing tennis for the impact that it has on my, my on my life. I'm not particularly worried. I don't think it's gonna. My, I'm gonna. I don't think it's arthritis. I don't think I've got it forever. Um, at the moment, it would be more impactful for me to not play tennis than suffer the little bit of pain on irritation, annoyance that I have at the moment. But if it tipped over into the opposite then i suppose i would have to consider but there you know i think it's a it's a multi-dimensional situation isn't it yeah but again would you if say say you know you you were having pain in your shoulder after tennis that was detrimentally affecting you that you were pissed off about that you were thinking you know what i need to stop playing tennis do you need to stop playing tennis or do you just need to change the dosage and the intensity and the frequency of tennis. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, do, do you just go for five, ten minutes? 
Well, this is where this is where actually being a solo exerciser helps. Because if you're playing a sport like tennis, it's really difficult to say, oh, I'm playing with my friend Wayne in the morning. And I'll go, Wayne, I'm just going to play for five minutes today. It ain't worth Wayne getting out of bed, right? So I think the point is when it comes to, to sport, it's actually quite difficult. If I was just going for a run, That's it actually this is a point where it's much easier uh, to solo dose, isn't it? A, a good, yeah, no, a good point. A good point, well made there, mate. So yeah. yeah, I think sometimes that can be something to consider. Yes, absolutely. So, so for me, the tipping point would be if it hurt enough during the exercise that it became intolerable. Yeah. But I would also say, you know, it's it, it, there may be also a role here for not saying stop the exercise that's intolerable. Yeah, yeah. Also think about considering changing some of the parameters around it. I understand what you're saying. It's hard to do in team sports. But, you know, let's say you found another player that you knew wouldn't last. Who was also crippled. <laughs> yeah. Let's say yeah, instead of getting Wayne out, you decided to get <laughs> Ethel out. You know, Ethel, she's 83 years old and yeah, she can yeah, just yeah. about go from one end of the court to the other. You know, you're going to have a very easy game of tennis with Ethel compared to six foot six strapping Wayne, who's going to smack a few hundred mile an hour aces past you. Yeah. So actually on last week, on Wednesday or Thursday, I had a half an hour hit with my friends. We didn't hit any serves. We just did a bit of rallying back and forth. Um, and again, that kind of non-competitive kind of play is another option. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that, but for me, that's definitely the tipping point. Can I tolerate a little bit of soreness in my shoulder for playing? Where the tipping point comes for me is if every time I served, it caused rip-roaring pain in my shoulder, that would probably be one of those situations where I'd say, now I actually have to stop. Um, but it's never kind of got to that. So, yeah, I think the question is probably how impactful is the painful problem? Does it actually stop you from doing it? And then could we modify it so that it was more tolerable? If it's a run, a shorter run, if it's a sport, less time playing that sport. And I suppose then finally, the most, you know, probably or the least favourable option would be the idea of maybe swapping that for something else. You know, so now I don't, you know, boxing doesn't hurt my shoulder really very much. So maybe I swap my tennis for some boxing or if it boxing hurt, could I swap that for some running where I don't, you know, use my arm at all, I use my legs. Yeah. But I don't think we've actually answered Daniel's que uh, Darren, Daniel, Darren's question very well because he's actually asked, let's say we have got somebody who we do need to try and convince to change. How do we do? How do we go about that? Oh, for fuck's sake, Darren! Why does he not ask the question I want him to ask? Why can he not just change his question? I, don't I know that was my fault because I, I exactly what I did at the beginning. I, I didn't actually answer his question. I said, "Do we actually need to change the thing?" But let's let's say we let's say we have got somebody that is very, as you mentioned, psychologically inflexible. Yeah, they want to carry on playing tennis. They're not going to stay. I, I see this a lot with my bench pressers. Yeah, bench yeah, presses, yeah. they get their shoulder pains, but they don't want to stop bench pressing. It fucking hurts them for three days yeah. afterwards. They regret bench pressing, but what yeah. happens next week? They go back and do it all again. Yeah, totally. And they're in this vicious circle of just yeah. going round and round and round and round. Too and strong. Round. Yeah. And we need to say, what techniques or tactics could we use here, mate? Yeah. So I think a little bit of a Socratic method is often mm. a little helpful. 
in these situations. I and I do this with Adam Meekins all the time. Actually, I will always when Adam says to me, you know, what should you know? We we talk about things, and I think my question is always, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, and that makes you stop and think, doesn't it? It makes makes somebody just have to have that little bit of introspection where they like, oh, okay, no, yeah, yeah. No. I don't no. like this, no. but you know, if I if we, I, I always say to people, if the roles were reversed, what would you t- what would you tell me? Let's lay it out. At the end of the day, you're doing this; it's aggravating your shoulder. It doesn't seem to be getting getting better. What advice would you give to your wife or your friend or someone else? Um, and often you would hear people say, "Well, I don't like this," but I would probably give the advice of, "Let's do something different. Let's, you know, change the volume or, or, or that type of thing." So I think a really nice way is just to put the onus back on someone else. And then secondary, I would say. So what would be another option to keep you training, but without, you know, putting the stress on that shoulder or the stress on that Achilles? Yeah, let, getting the person to try and seek out solutions and ideas for themselves rather than forcing our own opinions 100%. and ideas on them is, yeah. is always a good strategy there. It, it, the, the downside with it is it, it can... It can take a long time for somebody to actually come up with a suggestion and an idea. You can be quite yeah, frustrating for you because yeah, yeah. you can see a, a blindly obvious solution there in front of you that you just want to tell the person about. Yeah, but but they, they're going to have to find it themselves. So it can take a long time for them to get there. You could give a suggestion. You could say, well, you know, this is another suggestion. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, that true Socratic process requires, <laughs> you know, again... A, a lot of patience with some people that just yeah. can't see the blindly obvious or they yeah. do, but they just don't want to talk about it and get it there. And you just have to keep going around. I stuff. would say, this is what I would say. I would say, look, I've got this Socratic method, but we're running out of time. Yeah. So why, don't we, why don't we shortcut the Socratic method and we just go straight to what I want you to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rather than you thinking you're saying what you think yeah. you want to say, how about you just say what I wanted to say? Yeah. yeah. The, the end. See you later. Ding. Yeah. Exactly, that'll be thirty pounds, please. Um, yeah. So I think that it's, it's okay to. I think with the Socratic method, absolutely. Sometimes there can be those, you know, kind of long pauses and and silences. Sometimes or they just go around in a circle and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, but what about? Yeah. What about yeah. just say what I wanted to say? Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I do think we can shortcut that by saying, you know, what else do you think you could do? I mean, do you like? Running, do you think that's a good option? Do you like, you know, so I think there are ways of of maybe coercion or psychological implantation, the dream within a dream, inception. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think if you've got somebody with a lot of reluctance to to change or to do something, again, I, I think a good approach is just is just keep talking about why, what 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 what's yeah. what's the reasons, where are the barriers coming from, what are the fears or concerns about changing or stopping and, and just explore those as well. Cause often you find there can be some misunderstanding or misinformation that somebody has, you know, again, if I go back to my bench presses, they think if they stop doing bench pressing, yeah, yeah. it's going to affect their muscular hypertrophy and strength changes overnight, you know, and they, yeah. they've got this, this bro science mentality that if they don't put the stimulus in exactly the same way that they've been doing all the time, their chest just going to evaporate and disappear. Well, that's the power of psychological inflexibility is really powerful at helping people achieve their goals. 
but also psychological inflexibility is really detrimental when you have to shift those goals a little bit. So, be, you know, psychological strength is a little bit of a two-edged sword, isn't it? I will often validate people's psychological strength. I'll say, you know, I love that dedication. I think you're really, you know, dedicated to your training, but could that maybe be unhelpful in this situation? Yeah, the old David Goggins effect sometimes, as it can be called, it allows oh, you to do something. David Goggins, he's very psychological. He what, what, what does he? I don't know if I've ever paid that much attention. So David Goggins has got a very dogmatic, determined oh, psychological yes. approach where it's always about no pain, no gain. Oh, right, work it. through it. Don't listen to your inner bitch. Never give up. Never give right. in. Never rest. Constantly be moving. Constantly striving to improve yourself. And he has done some amazing things because of that that ability and that yeah. belief that he's got. But, you know, it's also perhaps come with some consequences that are negative to him. But I just don't think he would want to admit that. And I don't think he does admit that. Yeah. And he is probably a genetic anomaly. And whereas some other people may not have that level of, you know, that physical capacity. And so you, I think there's lots of people who are very, very mentally strong and physically not so strong. And I think there's a whole bundle of people who are very, very physically strong and not that mentally strong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Trying to, trying to get the best of both worlds sometimes is uh, is the uh, the tricky part. And you get that rare, like, unicorn, like myself, who is wonderfully physically robust and mentally as strong as an ox. It's quite, a, it's quite amazing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for those questions, guys. That was uh, a nice little good. thoughtful Thursday. Yeah. They were really good this week yeah. or month. Not that they're not, you know, generally they're of a, of a wonderful standard, but I think they were very, uh, they, were, they were questions that brought up a lot of different elements today. Yeah. So as always, BCPers, you know, make sure you contribute to the uh, Thoughtful Thursdays by giving us your questions. Uh, you know, keep keep us entertained with some new voices and some new ideas and some new opinions rather than just having the old voices. But we do like listening to the old voices as well. Our core members are always appreciated. questions. And if you're listening to this on the podcast and you're not a BCP again, I will reiterate why the hell not. Uh, Remember the BCP is the fastest growing online community for evidence-based person-centered therapists of all professions, experiences, and abilities. All are welcome to join us to join the community of people striving to better themselves, become the best clinicians that they possibly can do, uh, with the help of me and Ben and our community all working together. So come and join us to the BCP. Just go to our website. The No, it's not the Better Clinician. www.betterclinicianproject. Why we never put the on front of it, I never understood. Why did we not do that? It's taken, maybe? No. We should have put thebetterclinicianproject.com. Anyway, we didn't, and it's now, it's just betterclinicianproject.com, which always confuses me when I'm trying to read out the website. But again, if you want to come and seek us out, we've got a lot more information about what the BCP is all about and how to subscribe. You can do monthly or yearly at uh, no um, contracts or commitments, so you can come and go as much or as little as you like. And uh, we'll be great to see you. So come and join us on the BCP if you haven't done already. Yeah, au revoir. Yeah, and until next month, we'll uh, catch you again for another Thoughtful Thursday. We'll see you then. Ciao.
Thank you for listening to the BCP podcast. If you would like to check out the BCP, please go to www.betterclinicianproject.com. There we have literally hundreds of videos on clinical topics, exercise examples for rehabilitation and research reviews alongside features such as Thoughtful Thursday. And please tune in again.